that's the, that's the preview for our new Netflix series that's coming out this fall. Um, <laughs> that's what it looks like. That's right. How's everybody doing? Good? Good, good, good. Um, this looks like a happy book of the Bible, doesn't it? So that's pretty intense, isn't it? So um, we're going to do the book of Jude today. If you're new to the church, we're kind of getting back into where I think is kind of our sweet spot, which is going line by line, verse by verse through the Bible. Now, if it's your first time here and you didn't know we did this, you can go brag to your friends that you did an entire book of the Bible in one weekend. Um, don't tell them that that book of the Bible is only one chapter. That kind of deflates the, you know, the... the coolness of that. But um, yeah, we're going to do the book of Jude. Now, here's why we're doing the book of Jude. It's a very short book of the Bible, but it's also a very impactful book of the Bible. There's a lot crammed into a very little in this book of the Bible. Now, Jude is interesting because it sets up the book of Revelation very, very well that we're going to be in for probably nine or ten months starting very soon. We're going to jump into Revelation. We're going to be in that. Jude was written about the same time, and it, was, it, it gives us a really good kind of insight of the culture that John was in when he wrote the book of Revelation. So if you have a Bible, it's the second to the last book of the entire Bible. Very, very short, 25 verses. We're going to get through all of it today. So you'll, you'll be scholars in the book of Jude. And it is a very, very relevant book of the Bible. You're going to be shocked when we read this today. It doesn't sound like it was written 2,000 years ago. It, sound like it, it sounds like it was written last week. I mean, it's just unbelievable how relevant this book of the Bible, uh, book of the Bible is. And that leads me to my next point. Um, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind. I, I love children. I have two kids of my own. I want to say this, though. Days like today, and when we get into Revelation, especially in the latter parts of it, it's not always extremely appropriate for younger kids. So the book of Jude talks a lot about sexual perversion, talks a lot about stuff that is kind of very hard-hitting and very serious and very adult, and nothing against the Bible. There are some parts of the Bible that are not meant for children yet. They're meant for you to grow up and read as adults and so I just wanted to kind of throw like a fair warning out there. I had a, a family walk out of the five o'clock last night because we're talking about sexual perversion because that's kind of what the book of Jude talks about. You know, and this, this kid, you know, ran out, you know, with his hands on his ears. He was probably six or seven. That's why we have Echo. That's why we have Eon. That's why we have all kinds of great ministries for your kids to go hear the word at their age level. So, because there's sometimes not things that you want your kids to hear in the Bible until they're a little bit older and can handle those things. So I just want to throw that out there. If you're okay with your kids being in here, it's fine. I'm okay with your kids being in here, um, but I'm not going to pull any punches when it comes to what the Bible is talking about, so I just want you to be ready for that because it's just going to come out of my mouth, so um, that's going to happen. So anyways, after saying all that, now everyone's had fair warning. Guys, I remember when I did the book of Song of Solomon. I've done it twice, and for like two months, I was like, hey, look, we're going to be talking about sex in church for like two months. If you have your kids in here, okay, that's fine, but like they're going to hear the talk, and it's going to be me doing it. So probably put them back in, in Echo or Eon, right? So anyways, again, all that aside, we're going to do the book of Jude. Now, here's our thesis for the book of Jude, and we'll circle back around to this at the end of the lesson. Here it is. The book of Jude is about deception, mostly. And so we're going to focus on this, that if we're not close to Jesus, if we don't have a tight relationship with God, we can easily be deceived, Okay? If we're not close to Jesus, we can easily be deceived. I'm not even talking about outside of the church. I'm talking about inside of the church. So we need to be very, very cautious. Okay? All right. So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Um, if you don't have a notes handout in front of you, if you have a Bible, we're in the second to the last book of the Bible right before Revelation. If you have a cell phone, a smartphone, if you download the Experience Community app, 
If you click on service times and sermon notes, all the notes are on there, all the scripture is on there. Very, very convenient. If you don't have any of those things, everything will be on the screen, so uh, you'll be able to see everything we're talking about today, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into this. All of you guys are nervous now. You're just like, what's he going to talk about? Uh, It'll be okay, but it's very pertinent and it's very relevant. So um, let's pray and let's dive into this, okay? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. Um, Father, Lord, thank you for your word. It is fascinating, God, to read something that is uh, a piece of antiquity, Lord. It's thousands of years old, but it still speaks directly to the problems we're dealing with today in our age, God, and it gives us sound advice, and it gives us direction, and it leads us, and it brings us closer to you. Thank you. God, I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears today, Lord. Don't let us just hear the word, but let us do the word. Let us apply the word, live the word. God, we pray that you bless every church in our city. Pray that you bless every nonprofit in our city. Keep your hand on us and strengthen us, God, and lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm gonna take a little chunk. We'll start reading this. We'll break it down, and we'll see where the Lord leads us, okay? Here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Now, a couple of fun facts about Jude before we dive too far into this. Jude was not just a brother of Jesus by faith. Jude was a literal brother of Jesus. It says he was the brother of James, who was also a literal brother of Jesus. Not only was he a literal biological brother of Jesus, he was a huge influential leader in the Jerusalem church. That was a big church. A church in Jerusalem made up somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30,000 Christians. It was a big church. And so Jude's contribution to the Bible... He talks about false teachers, but he also encourages Christians to stand firm in the faith and go back to Jesus's teachings and kind of hang their hat on that. Another fun fact about Jude, though Jude was the brother of Jesus, he did not believe Jesus was the savior until after the resurrection. And you got to cut this guy some slack, right? I mean, how many of you would admit that your sibling was the savior of mankind, right? He's my brother, right? We fight and argue and He's the Savior, come on, right? And then he was crucified, rose from the grave, and he was like, okay, he was the Savior, right? So anyways, Jude was Jesus' brother. This letter that he wrote was intended to be a nice letter. He wrote it, he said, mercy, grace, peace to you guys. So it was intended to be a loving letter, but because of the nature of the letter, the content of the letter, it gets very intense very quickly. And it should, because salvation was in the balance. Jude was talking about people going to heaven or hell. It was a big deal, and this is very important. Jude cared more about telling people the truth than he cared about them getting offended. He wanted to present the truth to them, even if it was offensive. He wanted them to know what was real and what was not real. So his big focus in his book is on ungodly people. Those are his words. 
that godless people had crept into the church and they had become influential. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were pastors and elders and deacons, but they could have been. But what it means is people had slipped into Christian circles and they had started to persuade people to go a route that they shouldn't go. Now, this is the birth and kind of the beginning of what's called Gnosticism. Now, if you've never heard that before, Gnosis simply means knowledge. And there was a group of people that came a couple of hundred years after Jesus that claimed to have this secret knowledge. They wrote the Gnostic Gospels. That's where you get the Tom Hanks movie with the Louvre. It was based off the book of Judas, right? Which said that Jesus didn't get uh, crucified, that he got married to Mary, and they had children, and there's these weird people that protect their bloodline. All this garbage that was created by the Gnostic movement. Now, one of the other beliefs of Gnosticism was they believed that the flesh was evil, literally, the flesh and blood was evil, and the spirit was good. And because they believed that, this is what they did. They basically took that as an excuse that you could do whatever you wanted with your flesh, and it did not affect your soul. Now, there's a lot of one-liners in Jude, and they are powerful one-liners. And the first one we come across, Jude says they have turned the grace of God into sensuality. They're using God's grace as an excuse to do whatever they want sexually. That's what they were doing. So just for clarity, you and I, sex is a deeply spiritual thing, a deeply spiritual thing. And God is not anti-sex. God is for sex. In fact, in the first two books of the Bible, God looks at Adam and Eve and basically says, go have sex, right? Go multiply, Go, this is great. This is fine. You're married. You're together. Now, sex is to come in parameters, and the Bible sets those parameters. And sex within those parameters is awesome, and God, is, God wants you to have it, right, within these confines. But when it is out of those parameters, sex is destructive, right? It hurts people. It causes bad things to happen. One time I heard a pastor say this phrase, and it always stuck with me. He said, our culture is animalizing humans and humanizing animals. That's what we've, be done, we've become. We've become like acting like animals when it comes to sexual practice. So the first thing that Jude wants to talk about is human sexuality and sexual practice and how people had gone off the rails. The second thing that Jude wanted to talk about was the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was exclusively the only pathway to heaven. So people were doing all kinds of crazy sexual perverted acts. The other thing these false teachers were doing is they were claiming that Jesus was not the only pathway to heaven. The other thing they were claiming is that Jesus wasn't fully human. Now that's important. The Bible says that Jesus is the son of God, which means he was fully God, the Bible says that Jesus was the son of man, which means he was also fully human. He was fully, fully God, he was fully human, and Jesus himself said that he was the only pathway to heaven. That is very strong Christian theology right there. So about 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, I was a student pastor at the church I got saved in. And I remember praying one time and I taught a lesson on this. And I told my students, I said, the two biggest things that will divide the church, that will split up Christians, that will cause division and hurt and arguments are these two things, human sexuality and sexual practice. And guys, I'm not just picking on homosexuals. That's not what I'm doing. I'm talking about sex before marriage. Statistically, 95% of all Christians lose their virginity before they're married, 95%. 
So sexual practice is one, and the other is universalism. So in our day and age, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the two defining issues that we have to draw a line in the sand is sexual parameters and that Jesus Christ is the only pathway to heaven. You guys with me? Awesome. All right, next part. Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment of the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh. They reject authority and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not utter a slanderous condemnation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and they have perished in Korah's rebellion. So the the predominant audience that Jude was talking to were Jewish Christians, So he brings up three different instances in the Old Testament where people's faith defected. The first one was, he says, when Moses led everyone out of Egypt, the people who were led out of Egypt, the the Israel nation, they were so disobedient that that generation never got to see the promised land. He brought up the angels in heaven that had been one third of them swept out of heaven because they were rebellious against God and now they live in darkness for eternity. And then he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, that there was these cities that were extremely sexual perverse. There was rape and incest, and there was a lot of other sexual perversion, and God destroyed those cities with fire. He also talks about and starts to describe these godless teachers that have crept into the church. Now, here's another one of those phrases that I think just jumps out off the page. It says that these people relied on their own dreams, which means they didn't follow the Bible. They, they had these dreams and they had these wild imaginations and they created all new forms of spirituality, right? We hear this kind of subconsciously all the time in our culture. Be whatever you want to be, dream whatever you want to dream, do whatever you want to do. Like there's nothing that can stop you from being what you want to be. You know that's garbage, right? I'm five foot 10. I'm never going to play for the Chicago Bulls. I'm almost 40 years old. It's just not going to happen, right? So I can't do anything I want to do. There's reason and logic that play into this whole thing called life as well. And so there's this lie we've been told. But these people would conjure up all these wild ideas, and that's what they would worship. They defiled their flesh, which means they did whatever they wanted to do sexually. They rejected authority. They slandered the glorious ones, which means anything angelic or anything spiritual. And so Jude says they become like irrational animals. They just do whatever they want to do and whatever benefits them. They've become crazy. And Jude says these ways lead them to destruction. This means whenever a people as a whole becomes selfish, 
whenever false teaching becomes the norm, it will inevitably lead not just to eternal damnation, hell, it leads to a destruction here on earth as well. And if you're skeptical of what I'm saying right now, just go back and look at history. Look at every empire that has become overtly hedonistic, which means they've just done whatever they've wanted to do spiritually and sexually. Look at them. Look at the Roman Empire. Look at the Greek Empire, the Persians, the Assyrians. Any empire that did what they wanted to do and denied the true God fell apart. And guys, if you look at the Roman Empire and the United States, we look ridiculously, remarkably similar. We're going down the same path. We still call ourselves a Christian nation. That's, we'll get on later. So Jude compares this group of false teachers to a bunch of very infamous people in the Bible. Cain, the first murderer, Balaam and Korah, who are known for deception and hatred and greed and rebellion. So if we step back as a people and say, well, we claim to be a Christian nation, we claim to be one nation under God, are we a people, though, that create all kinds of crazy spiritualities and, and do we chart our own course? Do we make up our own beliefs even within the Christian community? Are we an envious people? Are we in love with money? Do we glorify violence? Do we glorify rebellion? I would say yes to all of these things. And if you also say yes, then we have to ask, how long is, gonna, how long is God going to allow us to do this? especially as we walk around as one nation under God, living in a very ungodly manner. How long is God going to put up with that? He goes on. He says these people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat, you, eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look out for themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by the winds. They are trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds. They are wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. He said, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly, concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in all the ungodly ways, and concerning all the harsh things these ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their own desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage." Again, look at the words. Look at, look at how, how beautifully he paints all this and how clear. He says these are dangerous reefs at your love feasts. Now, what he was talking about was communion. Now, communion in, in uh, Jude's day, right, in the beginning of Christianity, looked a lot different than how we do communion now. There's nothing wrong with how we do communion now. In Jude's day, though, they would take hours. They'd take three, four hours, get together, eat this huge feast. They'd drink three or four glasses of wine. They'd talk about Jesus. They'd do, oh, we can't afford to do that, by the way. You're drinking Welch's here. So all this stuff happens, and they would get together. And what was happening, though, are these false teachers, these false teachers would come into communion time, and they didn't have any reverence for communion. So they were taking the Lord's Supper without reverence, which means without repentance. They weren't honoring God. Now listen, let me pause here for a second. 
We do communion at all four services every single weekend. We've been doing it here for nine and a half years. We'll do it until Jesus comes back or this church shuts down. We will always do communion. It's a big deal to me. It should be a big deal to you. Now, when we offer communion here, it's not just a piece of matzo bread and some Welch's that represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I want you to take that. I think it's important. It's a deeply spiritual thing that we do. But listen, if you take that communion and you don't do it with reverence and a repentant heart, the Bible says you are taking that as condemnation against yourself. Don't take the communion if you're not taking it seriously. But listen, all we have to do is ask Jesus to forgive us. We can take it, remember what God has done for us, and it's a blessing to you. But I'll move on. So Jude also says these false teachers and leaders are shepherds. So they are influential, they are leaders, but they're only concerned about taking care of themselves. Again, look at the imagery. He says they're waterless clouds, right? Look at this. They block out the sun, but they don't produce any water for the crops. They're waterless clouds. They're fruitless, and they're wild waves that stir up these sinful deeds. That word fruitless is interesting to me. When we look at the world and we look at the philosophy of the world that they very arrogantly shove down our throats, it's funny because the world's philosophy condemns itself. The more that the philosophy of the world tells you to be free, right? You hear that all the time. There's no boundaries to love. You can do whatever you want. There's no boundaries to where you can go and what you can do. Be free. Don't let anyone tell you any differently. They keep shoving this philosophy down our throat and anxiety and depression and suicide are shooting out of the roof. Divorce is shooting out of the roof. Murder is shooting out of the roof. Domestic assault is shooting out of the roof. So the more excuse me, the more and more they tell us to be free, the more and more that we as a culture are shackled the more and more they tell you to smoke it, drink it, party, do this and that, the more addicted we become, the more addicted our children become. And so we have not become more free by this philosophy. You can judge a tree by its fruit, Jesus says. And the fruit of culture right now kind of sucks. It's not very good right now. We are not getting the results that we want, right? This message of freedom has only brought us more chains. It's odd. He also says that these people are like wandering stars. Again, this is very striking to me. When I was studying this and I was reading, reading this, the idea that we look towards these people, right? These false teachers that paint us this lifestyle that looks so glorious and so amazing. And so we look at these celebrities and we see the houses that they live in and the cars they drive and the looks, right? Which is mostly Photoshopped and lots of makeup and lots of other stuff, right? And so we look at this stuff and it's a facade, but we look at them and, and we, we want to be them and we idolize them. But we know from the Bible that that lifestyle either leads to eternal destruction or it leads to destruction here on earth. And I'm not trying to like pick on anybody, but like, I remember I was a huge Soundgarden fan growing up as a kid, loved Super Unknown, one of my favorite albums from the 90s. And I remember when Chris Cornell committed suicide. I'm like, wait a second. The guy's good looking, he's a phenomenal musician, like multi-platinum records, he's got a beautiful wife, kids. What the heck? He didn't have God. He was missing the one thing that gives us complete contentment. And I'm not trying to like knock on him or, or be disrespectful, none of that. But we look at people like that and we say, man, I wish I could be them. And those people are not typically happy and content and they're going down a path of destruction. 
And look at this. If it doesn't until now, I think this passage really makes it clear. It sounds like Jude is writing the book of Jude like in the United States last week. He says that culture has become a people of discontented grumblers and that God is going to deal with people who are always complaining. I am so sick of hearing people complain about how terrible of a nation this is. Go watch a bunch of kids play soccer with a bunch of trash that's balled up, right? as they don't have clothes to wear and they might not have food to eat for a couple of days. Go over to a third world country like that, come back here and tell me how bad you have it. The freedoms you have. We have become in this one nation under God some of the most discontented complainers that the world has ever seen. And God is not cool with that. We're people that are constantly complaining, living out our own desires. Do you know what Jude says? We're gonna read it here in a second that people like that do not have the Spirit of God in them because the Spirit of God gives us joy and contentment. And when we're constantly complaining, grumbling, and discontent, the Holy Spirit is not filling us up. Something is missing there. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you that in the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and they are worldly, not having the Spirit. He says, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those that waver, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. These last two verses are the most beautiful verses. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Beautiful. So Jude ends with a bang. In his time, evil people had slipped in and people had fallen prey to this deceptive teaching. But Jude reminds them, people are going to come in. And he says even more and more towards the end of time, there's going to be more false teachers, more lies, more deception. And he says, the more that happens, the more we have to gravitate back to Jesus back to the teachings of the Bible. Stay firm in your faith. Jude says that if we're to stay firm in our faith, we have to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that everyone has to pray speaking in tongues. Not everyone receives that gift of the Holy Spirit. But we are to pray being deeply connected to Jesus, that we are to pray for God to give us wisdom and knowledge and the words to speak, that we are deeply connected with Him. He says that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God, and that we need to wait for the mercy of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have a responsibility. I am so tired of hearing Christians live a life that Jesus does not want them to live, and they use the scripture from Romans 8 as an excuse to sin. Well, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That does not mean you can cheat on your wife. That does not mean that you can be addicted to porn. That doesn't mean that you can get high or intoxicated. Just because God loves you does not give you the license to live however you please and still claim salvation. Jude says that if you are to be in the love of God, you have to do it on purpose. 
You have to have a relationship with God. We have to be intentional. And when we intentionally place ourselves in the love of God, God protects us from evil. What does that mean practically? It means you need to go to church. Now, if you don't like me, if you don't like this place, if you'd rather go to a place where a guy wears, I don't know, $500 shoes and dresses up nice, or what, you go to that place. But please, go there, get plugged in, and be held accountable. You need church. I need church. Nowhere, let me get up on a soap, soapbox here for a second. Whenever people say, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church, nowhere in this book does it support that. Nowhere. From the very beginning of this book to the very end of this book, it always advocates believers getting together on a weekly basis to worship God. Nowhere in that book does it discourage any of you to not go to a local assembly on a weekly basis. Nowhere in that book. So whenever a Christian says, well, you can be a Christian and not go to church, bull, it does not support that in that book. Nowhere in it. Anyways, sorry, where was I at? Church. I didn't even make it to the other ones yet. All right. <laughs> we also need to pray. Again, I know that sounds shocking for Christians, but we need to set aside time and talk to the Lord. If you're married in here, you're not going to have a good marriage if you don't talk to your spouse. As Christians, we are married to Jesus, and we're not going to have a good relationship unless we talk to him and listen to him. We also need to study the word of God. We need to be mindful of who we're with, and we need to be mindful of where we go. Guys, there are some places Christians just shouldn't be. We need to be careful. We need to protect our mind. We need to protect our eyes and our ears. We need to be cautious. We must also keep the commands of Jesus. Whenever I hear someone say, I love Jesus, I don't always do what the Bible says. I'm just going to quote Jesus to you. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You'll do what I tell you to do. That's how we stay in God's love is we keep doing what Jesus wants us to do. When we claim to follow Jesus, but we don't do what Jesus says, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves and we have a false sense of security. We're actually abusing grace when we claim to follow Jesus, but don't do anything he says. That's not following Jesus. Here's the thing though, turn it on the other side of this. The other thing is though, is you're gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna make mistakes. I know this may shock you. I've sinned many times since I've been a pastor, <laughs> many times. All of us are gonna fall down. All of us are gonna make mistakes. And when that happens, we need to be careful not to go to one extreme or the other. This is what Christianity typically does. We either turn a blind eye to sin. Well, we're all sinners, so, you know, it's okay. It's not okay, right? There's never an excuse to sin. And so sometimes we turn a blind eye to sin. Or we go to the other extreme, and when someone makes a mistake, we kick them while they're down, we kick them out of the church, we humiliate them, and then they never want to go to church again. Both of these avenues are wrong. We need to hold people accountable. We need to call sin, sin. We need to have uh, uh, safety nets kind of set in place so people don't mess people up and hurt other people. But we also need to have grace. We also need to love. If someone makes a mistake, even if it's a bad mistake, awful mistake, if they want to repent and move forward, we are obligated as brothers and sisters to pick them up and to help them move forward towards Christ. That's what we are called to do as a family. You ever heard people say, uh, hate the sin but love the sinner? Now, you know what it says in the Bible, hate the sin, love the sinner. That's not in the Bible. It might be in Hobby Lobby somewhere, but it's not in the Bible. <laughs> and so this is one of those times where people misquote the Bible. 
right? It's like when people say, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I'm like, what book of the Bible is that in, right? Because it's not. So anyways, though this is not in the Bible, Jude alludes to this idea. He says, love people, show them mercy, but hate the thing that has defiled them. Let me give you an example. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate, if you have committed adultery and cheated on your husband, I don't hate you, but I hate the adultery. I hate what has torn your family apart. God doesn't hate you, but he hates that sin. He hates that thing that has hurt you. He hates that thing that has hurt your family. That's what we're called to do. Yes, we hate the sin, but we love people. We love them, we lift them up, and we help them out to the best of our abilities. And then at the very end of Jude's very small but very powerful contribution, Jude ends with what is called a doxology. All that means is it's a, it's a, a formal praise of God. And in this encouragement at the end of his book, he says that God can protect us from making mistakes. Not that you're going to be perfect, but he can help you to make less mistakes. That he can keep us pure. That God can give us great joy. But if we're going to have those things, we have to be under the majesty, the power. We have to be under the authority of God. And the only way to do that is to do that on purpose. We have to intentionally be in God's majesty and power and authority. Now, I think most of you would agree with this. We live in remarkably confusing times. Now, we're not the worst humanity has ever been. I always hear people say that, Corey, people are the worst they've ever been. We're not yet. If you go back and study Roman history when emperors were having sex with children and then kicking them off the sides of cliffs to their deaths, we're not there yet. We're not that bad of a culture yet. That happened in the Roman Empire often. And so again, there have been empires that have been evil, that have gone off the, the deep end morality-wise, morally. And I think we have as the United States. I think we are going off the deep end when it comes to morals. Now, the big difference, though, between us and the Roman Empire is we have Tinder. We have Snapchat. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. Now, at every service, people have kind of chuckled at that. I pastor about 3,500 to 4,000 people in this town. I could hop on Facebook right now to my five or 6,000 people, however many follow me or whatever, and I could write down something that is completely false, and I bet I'd get 500 likes on it before the end of the day. See what I'm saying? Though we are not maybe as evil as the Roman Empire, we have an unprecedented mechanism now to spread lies, to spread deceit. Who would have ever thought 15 years ago you could pick up your cell phone, swipe right, and hook up with someone and have casual, casual sex within the next hour? Whoever thought we could do that? Number one downloaded app. Isn't that crazy? Whoever thought that we would reach a time? Guys, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, like, you had to like, work for porn. We're just being honest, right? I know I'm the only one in the room that's ever slipped up and looked at that stuff, but anyways... When I was a kid, when I was like 13 years old, like you had to like know someone that knew someone whose dad like had this box up in the attic, right? <laughs> All you men are like <laughs> slipping down in your seats, right? <laughs> Nowadays, we give nine-year-olds the cell phone that costs 1,200 bucks and it has everything on it. You don't even have to look for it on a cell phone. It looks for you. And we give our kids this. Guys, let me step in here for a second and be a jerk. You know you can tell your kids no, right? Right? I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you know you're the parent. 
So if I was nine or 10 years old and my dad would have said, here, you can find anything on planet Earth on this device, I already got in enough trouble without that. But yet we do this. We live in extremely confusing times. And from every single angle, there's manipulation. There's a blurring of the lines, not even talking about something like porn, but you can hear all kinds of false doctrines and teachings if you just scroll through your Facebook. You'll hear all kinds of religious garbage, stuff that is lies and not real. Selfishness, all kinds of wolves in sheep's clothing. And like I said, man, your kids don't have to go looking for it. They're looking for your kids. They're coming after you. They're marketing towards you. Now, if we're going to avoid falling into this trap, if we're going to avoid getting sucked into destructive lies, into destructive teachings and lifestyles, we are going to have to be very intentional about having a relationship with Jesus. That means you need to put on your cell phone, right? A time to pray. You need to block out time to hang out with your kids. You need to block off time to pray with your spouse. You need to block off time to read your Bible. You have to do this on purpose. Church has to be a priority. These things have to be done on purpose. You are not going to have a good relationship with God by accident. It's not going to happen. You have to do it on purpose. And we have to know this word. And I know you don't have to know this word by next week or by next year. But read the gospel. Read Matthew. Take you 30 minutes to read the book of Matthew. And you'll have a firm understanding of the beliefs of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Get in it a little bit. Know what the truth is so when the lies come your way, Listen, I didn't say this at any of the other four services, but I got a little bit of time and I'm going to say it to this one. I have a really good friend. His name's Kelvin. He's in the secret service. Right now, he lives in the White House with Donald Trump. He's in the secret, and we talked two days ago. We, we talked pretty often. One time when he was still living in Nashville, I went up to his office. It's everything you'd expect. It's like, it's like this hidden building off Roselle Parks and all these hidden doors and stuff. But I'm up there in, in the secret service headquarters in Nashville. And my friend Kelvin had a stack of cash, I mean, probably two or three inches thick. And I said, well, what's up with the cash? And he goes, that's counterfeit. And I said, I looked at it, and I'm like, man, how can you tell? And he goes, here's how you know what counterfeit money looks like. You spend a lot of time holding the real thing. The only way to know that lies are coming at you is you have to first know the truth. You have to first have this. You have to first spend time with this. And if you don't spend time with this, you're not going to know when the lies are coming against you. But if you will spend a lot of time with the real thing, when the counterfeit comes at you, you can identify it. Remarkable. We must purposefully spend time and get closer to God. We must also look out for each other. You are my brother. You are my sister. If I come up to you and I haven't seen you for a month at church and I'm like, hey, man, where you been, don't get offended by me. We need to get offended a lot less than what we do. We live in a state of constant offense in our nation. We don't need to be offended. I ask you where you've been, not because I'm trying to like get your tithe money and make sure that our numbers keep going up. I care about you and I care about your family and I care about your marriage. I care about your soul and we need to do that to each other. We need to be in small groups and we need to have community and we need to hold each other accountable, looking out for each other. We need to hold firm to biblical truths, regardless of what our heart tells us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your heart will lie to you. Well, Corey, I just felt it. I was following my heart. That will lead you into an adulterous affair. 
Your heart will lead you into cheating on your taxes. Your heart will lead you into greed and manipulation and envy. Don't follow your heart. Follow the Holy Spirit. Your heart will lie to you. So we have to go back to biblical truths. It's not just about what my heart tells me. It's about what the Holy Spirit leads me through in the Bible. We have to show love for those of us who fall. All of us are going to fall. All of us are going to make mistakes. And in those times, we have to show mercy. We have to show love. We have to pick people up and help them move forward. And the very last thing we need to do is we have to go out and love and reach people that don't know Christ. We have to go out and share with them the truth. We have to show them that there's a better way. We have to show them that there's a God that loves them. We have to pray for them. We have to serve them. We have to love the people around us. Listen, as we get into the book of Revelation soon, that talks about things that have not happened yet, eventually there's gonna come a time where there's gonna be a very charismatic couple of leaders and they're gonna do amazing things, one political, one religious. We tend to worship politicians and religious figures. And one day, a couple of them are going to show up and they're going to do amazing things. And because people are not grounded in this, that is the Antichrist. We have to be firmly grounded in God. We have to have a tight relationship with Him because it's only going to get nuttier. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you were in this room and, and you are not a Christian, you, you came here today because you're just inquisitive, maybe you had some questions or you had heard about the church or whatever it is. If you have any questions at all, Dave is up here to my right, your left. He's wearing a black t-shirt. Come up here and ask Dave any questions. If you're in here and maybe you want to become a Christian, but you don't even know what to do, you don't know what to pray, you don't know how to start, come up here and talk to Dave. He's right up here on my right, your left, right at the corner of the stage. There's also going to be people up here on the right and left to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, financial stuff, relational stuff, sickness, whatever it is, please let these people pray for you. Please. Then the last thing is this. If you are in here and you want to take communion, I invite all of you who are Christians to take communion. You're all welcome. But please, please take this seriously. Ask God to forgive you of your sins that's, 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 it's that easy. Jesus, please forgive me. You can take the communion and I want you to really think about what you're doing. God sent his only son to die for our sin. He loves us and one day he's gonna come back for us and we can have a relationship with him now. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Today with all these men and women in this room, Lord, I wanna pray, God, that you protect our minds, protect our hearts, God, for every parent in here, God, give them the gift of wisdom. Give them discernment. For every student, for every young person in this room, Lord, give them wisdom at a young age. Give them discernment, Lord. Protect them. God, Lord, let your Holy Spirit just insulate every man and woman in this room. We don't want to be isolated, but God, we want to be protected and insulated by your Holy Spirit that we can go out and be the salt and the light to the world around us. Lord, we love you. We thank you, we praise you, God. Bless my brothers and sisters, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.